Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Empire Files podcast, an exclusive patron-only show we're doing a few times a month now, Abby. This is uh, Mike Preisner, of course, here with Abby Martin, host of the Empire Files. What's up, everyone? Um, just want to say welcome to all the new patrons who joined just in the past couple days after our new video on the Saturday Night Live Israel joke, which is the topic of our entire discussion on the podcast today. And I uh, just want to say thank you, of course, to all the patrons. Of course, you are a patron if you're listening to this. Um, you're really making all of this stuff possible. You know, the the videos we do have no ads on them. We don't make any money off them. They're meant to just be free, important information for everyone to be widely distributed. Uh, but we do this patron-only podcast is like our only locked exclusive content so we can actually run the whole video operation that we're doing. And so while we're you know so heartened that many of you have decided to become patrons, um, to be honest, we're actually still in the red. We're not bringing enough every month that's actually paying for all of our expenses, all the people that make this show possible, all the other expenses associated with it. So most people are at that $2 a month level. If you level up to $5, even if just a fraction of you do that, that would help us immensely. But we're so happy to have you here. And we're really excited to talk about today's topic because it's one that, uh, you know, is very deeply felt by both Abby and I, something we experienced together pretty intensely. And uh, Abby, why don't you take us into what we're going to talk about today? Absolutely. So people may have seen our latest video. We've done a couple this last week, uh, which are really great. I would recommend to check all of them out, including a new Empire update and also a really incredible short doc uh, about eight minutes long about Haiti, 100 years of U.S. intervention in Haiti. But on February 20th, Saturday Night Live, a show that has been particularly unfunny for quite some time and pretty unwatchable, <laughs> did something pretty daring, right? And and it's sad to even call it daring, but that's what it is in this media landscape that we live in today. Comedian Michael Che said this joke. Israel is reporting that they vaccinated half of their population. And I'm going to guess it's the Jewish half. <laughs> so... Wow, Mike, uh, the backlash on this has been pretty enormous. It's still being felt today, three days later at the time of this recording. You know, the the usual the usual talking points deployed. Uh, this is anti-Semitic. Um, this is blood libel, actually. We saw someone who is in a State Department position as the official envoy to combat anti-Semitism. A woman, I, I didn't even know that was a position, actually, by the State Department, but she went on Twitter and actually called it blood libel against Jews. But mostly it's being called anti-Semitic. You know, you're resurrecting anti-Semitic tropes that have been about Jews for a long time. But also, I think, moreover, calling it not factual, saying that it is a lie because within Israel, the Arab population who are Israeli are vaccinated at the same pace that that Israeli Jews are. So therefore, the joke is completely unfounded. And then, you know, and then, of course, adding on top of that, it's anti-Semitic, blah, blah, blah. So we decided to do a video just really quickly breaking down how when you account for the 5 million Palestinians under Israeli control outside of 1948, right, the borders of Israel, uh, the 1948 borders of Israel, it actually is an accurate joke. So when you actually take the population of Palestinians that live outside of Israel, um, it is kind of half of the population in totality. When you're looking at, you know, 9 million people live in Israel um, and there's 5 million Palestinians outside of the 1948 borders who are under Israeli control. And when you take all of that, 
you know, all of those people together, it is an accurate, you know, That's an accurate it's an accurate breakdown. It's a it's a real accurate joke. So, well, of, of course, it's being called anti-Semitic because of saying, you know, let me guess it was the Jewish half that got the vaccine. And so they're all up in arms saying this is anti-Semitic to say, even though, as you're saying, there's there's quite a bit of truth to that. I mean, the joke. Obviously, the, uh, Israel is 75 percent Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, there's not a Jewish half. There's a Jewish 75 percent, uh, which is, you know, artificial majority because they expelled enough of people to actually get that to get to that number. Seventy five percent. Yeah, that's Jewish intentional. Majority, yeah. It took expelling hundreds of thousands of people from their homes violently so they could then have a majority. But, you know, we wanted to break down from our own eyewitness experience being there, you know, one of the defenses, as Abby was saying, was that over it being factual. And so the whole argument of the those going against this joke outside of saying, oh, this is anti-Semitism to say it, uh, which is, of course, the go-to tactic anytime you criticize Israel, it's conflated with, you know, being anti-Semitic, right. even though Israel is a cu- country, a government. Um, but the Avi Mayer, who is a former uh, Israeli military spokesperson, And this is also the statement that's put out by pretty much all of the uh, critics of it saying, here's the reason why this is a lie that we because all Palestinians are they say Arabs, they don't use the word Palestinians. They say all Arab Israelis, uh, uh, Jewish, Muslim, Christian all get the same vaccine. Right. That's true. Um, Notice that they'll never say Palestinians get it. They'll say Arabs get it. Um, And the other fact saying that Palestinians, he's saying this quote, Palestinians are governed by the Palestinian Authority, uh, which is responsible for vaccinating them. So what we're going to break down is, you know, talking about Palestinians with Israeli citizenship, Palestinians who are born and live inside Israel proper in 1948 borders. Uh, that accounts for one fifth of the Palestinian population that's within all of Palestine, including Israel. One fifth. Uh, and then the Palestinian territories that he's saying are governed by the Palestinian Authority and so isn't Israel's responsibility. That's Palestinian Authority's responsibility. The area of the West Bank and Gaza that is under the Palestinian Authority is only 70 or 17 percent. And so the rest of the what uh, the 83 percent is under direct Israeli military control. It's not under the Palestinian Authority. And so we're going to talk about Abby and I were there. We lived for about a month um, in the occupied territory, staying in refugee camps, staying in other areas. And we're going to go through all of the different areas, Gaza, the areas under Palestinian control, the areas that are occupied inside Israel proper, all of that. So you can understand uh, just how actually true the Saturday Night Live joke was, but it's actually, you know, an experience for us to share a lot that we haven't been able to share on Empire Files. We have this playlist, which you should check out, called Reporting from Palestine on our YouTube channel, which has really amazing video of all of this stuff. But we never really get to talk about what happened behind the scenes and what our kind of personal reactions to it was. And so that's what we hope to do here today. Absolutely, Mike. And we start that playlist off kind of setting the scene of how Palestine was colonized in the first place. I think that we've all seen that map of the land changing over the course of several decades. But to actually go firsthand back in 2016 and see everything with our own eyes, I think was a pretty uh, mind-blowing experience, at least in my case. I know that you had been there before um, to try to get into Gaza, which you can talk about later. But it was really incredible for me to be there just because I'd been covering it for so long. And so back in 2016, when we decided to go with Existence is Resistance, it's a group that's kind of the opposite of what your typical birthright 
propaganda tour is, which is, you know, we stayed in the occupied territories the entire time. We stayed in refugee camps, as Mike just explained. Um, and it was it was incredible. I mean, to even prepare to go there. I don't think a lot of people realize this, but even to prepare to get into the West Bank, we had to completely wipe our phones of any sort of reference to any politics whatsoever. So like any, any Arab yeah. sounding names of any contacts you had to delete. Uh, of course, your search results, your application. So, of course, we did everything that we could to clean out um, any reference to us being political whatsoever. And we went with under the pretense that we were just there on our honeymoon going to see the architectural sites in Israel because Israel, of course, touts itself as like an architectural haven. We had to like book a hotel yeah. on the beach on like yeah. the Mediterranean so that we could show that mm -hmm. we were actually Yeah, because they say, where are you going? Yeah, where we are you going to, and who are you staying Yeah, with? like another tactic is to like buy like an Israel travel guide and just have it in your bag. So when they question you about what you're doing there... You're like, oh, I'm going to Israel. Here's my travel guide. Because if we had said at customs when they said, "What are you doing?" and we said, "Oh, we're going to visit Palestine," you would wouldn't have been be let immediately in. Banned. Yeah. In fact, we found out later that uh, just a white American girl from like Florida or something was denied entry into Israel because she had an Arabic language book in her bag, not even knowing that that was something that was controversial, <laughs> you know, because of course, why wouldn't you think that you have to speak some Arabic, right? You're in the Middle East. Um, but she was banned and uh, turned away because she was called an for Arab life. sympathizer, an Arab sympathizer for simply having an Arabic language book, even though she was there to literally just travel around Israel like so many other people do without really giving it a second thought. So that shows you how draconian the guidelines are to even get into Palestine. I mean, as we know, Rashida Talib was like, yeah, <laughs> like, like temporarily banned. <laughs> <laughs> temporarily banned. Yeah, Congress, which subsidizes Israel's entire apartheid state, is like actual members yeah. are banned from entry. <laughs> and if you're like Arab or Muslim, you're going to have a real hard time getting through the Tel Aviv customs. Um, we're white and we were worried and we had a very, you know, it, we had to do all these preparations. You know, like, like you said, Abby, like go through all our contacts and any Arab or Muslim name, we had to change the name in our contacts to some like American code name, you know. <laughs> so when they look through our contacts, they say, oh, you know, an Arab person, you can't get into Israel. Like that's actually how strict it is. So we went straight from the airport when we actually got through and the rest of our uh, people got out. And, you know, you, you drive from the airport and we went straight into the occupied territories. And so, of course, you have to go through um, a checkpoint. You know, you're driving through. Israel 48, uh, as Palestinians call it. And, um, you know, we the very first checkpoint that we have to go through, uh, the first thing we see, the very first thing we see there is an ambulance going through the checkpoint. And they had, you know, the ambulance had, the Palestinian ambulance had to go through the checkpoint. And they had taken the person out on a stretcher. The Israeli military had, like, pulled them out of the back. And this person just, like, completely incapacitated, covered up on a stretcher. And the Israeli military is like searching it and all this shit. And it's like, obviously, this is not, you know, just treating it like this is like, you know, potential car bomb or something, which, you know, hasn't happened there in, in quite some time. Um, but that was the very first uh, Palestinians we saw after getting into Israel was like uh, some someone in dire need of medical aid just being stuck at a checkpoint, having the like gurney searched. Yeah, we yeah. heard countless stories like this when we were there of people who have died needlessly because the ambulances are stopped at checkpoints. But this, I think the second thing that we saw, which all of these things are seared into my brain forever because they were so harrowing, but I would say that the second thing that I remember distinctly is, you know, Palestine's very hilly. 
a lot of beautiful terrain and land, which makes the situation even more sad just because of how gorgeous it is. Um, and there's a lot of hills. And so we looked to the left. I think we were driving and there was just a, a line of people walking up this giant hill. And I asked Nancy, you know, what what's going on here? And she was like, oh, yeah, like military officials would just arbitrarily block people's villages so you can't drive into the village on the top of a hill. So they will block the path. And so Palestinians are forced to park at the bottom and just walk like a mile to their village, just totally randomly, like adding so much time, you know, on an already busy day if you're working to provide for your family, like adding an hour just to terrorize and humiliate you. Yeah, and the roadblocks are basically just these giant concrete blocks. So there's randomly like a main road, just Israeli military vehicle will just roll up and just drop off the back a giant concrete block. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, I guess we can't use this road anymore. And it'll just be totally arbitrary. I mean, it, not really arbitrary. They'll do them at places that make it most inconvenient for people. Mm -hmm. And there's no reason for them other than to just make people's life suck more. Mm -hmm. And then they'll get rid of it and they'll put it somewhere else. And they're just all moved around. So you can never really plan your day. You never know if you're going to be able to take a certain road and all of that. But yeah, to make people just walk up a hill home, like carrying all their groceries, like just imagine. And it was like right away. Yeah. That being like the really the first thing we saw, just imagining how fucking annoying that would be. Yeah. Like here, if like anytime you try to go home, you just end up having to walk an extra two miles with all your oh shit. Oh my God. I'm annoyed because... when I have to park like a block away. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's unreal. And I would say the first day was really dramatic because, you know, a farmer was shot in the back for doing nothing other than not like turning around quickly enough. Thing. This guy was farming his land that he had farmed since he was like a kid. Yeah. This older guy is like in his 50s on the same plot of land he's been on his whole life. And then one day one soldier was like, hey, turn around. Mm -hmm. And he didn't turn on fast enough. And they just killed him on the spot. They killed him on the spot. And this was a moment that uh, again, sticks with me because you hear um, from a lot of people, you know, sick people like Sam Harris, for example, who opens his book about religion, talking about like how Palestine's a death cult and how people like worship death and stuff. And we went to this funeral of this yeah. farmer who had died that day. that day. And it was like any funeral you would go to in America. It was, uh, the widow as well as family members crying and wailing because they were mourning the loss of their family that had just died for no reason. And it was just really, really intense. You know, it was really intense. And I just can't help but think of how disgusting people like that are that um, that can actually say that. And the fact that so many people die and it's such a normal um, occurrence on a day to day basis because of how um, how prevalent death is and such a harsh reality for Palestinians that they have an apparatus in place to like print out posters um, of and banners and, you know, of not just people who have recently passed away, but also like political prisoners, because that's such a huge thing. And so people who are, um, you know, anti-Palestinian and stuff will point to that also. And they're like, oh, they they worship, you know, people who are martyrs and all this stuff. It's like, no, that's just a way to honor the dead because so many people are dying at any given time. So the reason that I bring that up is because at this funeral, oh, yeah, the banners had already been printed right. of the man. And this was like, you know, this is all organized within hours of the guy getting shot. And so banners were printed, posters were printed of his face. And so we grabbed one. And just the fact that that's how frequently Israeli mm -hmm. soldiers kill random people, that like right. the first day we got there, it happened. And it happened many other times while we were there. 
But it's just like, that's how frequent it's like, oh, we show up. Oh, yeah, here's there's another killing. Like, let's go to the family's house um, right away. Yeah, right away. And, you know, they were uh, at least unless they were just being nice, but they were very <laughs> uh, they seemed very grateful that we mm. had come. And I uh, lot. And really part of that is no one knows their story they, they mm-hmm. feel uh, in the United States, which is also true because us being there as journalists, there's really no other American journalists there except Dan Cohen, who we've worked with, who we'll talk about later. But um, so, I, yeah, I mean, there was just so much stuff happening every day and there was really nobody uh, nobody covering it. But, yeah, I mean, even at that memorial, like it was split like male and female. So, mm-hmm. Abby, you went with the wife, the daughters, like all of the women in the family. And it was you know pretty large. And I went to where all the guys were. And I'll tell you, at the guy side, it was exactly as you described the mm-hmm. women's side. Yeah, it's an interesting point about how few journalists there are covering this stuff because, yeah, there's a ton of NGOs and like organizations that are doing aid and stuff like that. But you don't see a lot of people like just reporting on the harsh truth uh, mm-hmm. unless you're like from Mondo Ice or EI or something like that, Electronic Intifada. And there are very few people who are actually on the ground in Palestine doing this stuff. So we were there. We had a poster of the man who was deceased and we put it in our car ready to leave the service. It's night by this time. It's night. All of a sudden, the car is completely surrounded by Israeli military officials. There's tear gas already going off because they had yeah. attacked everyone Smoke coming, bombs. leaving the funeral. Yep. We quickly realized that they were terrorizing the funeral goers. Everyone leaving the funeral they or memorial service or whatever they were just attacked the israeli soldiers set up at the bottom yes. of the hill to attack everyone who yes. came down the hill having been at the house yeah and nancy was driving and she was like oh my god they're gonna fucking like shoot our car because they see the poster of the guy in the window and for sure we i saw at least two soldiers raise their rifles and pointed at our windshield and it yeah. was like a very like like a rack war moment it was like oh shit they're about to unload in the car yeah it was um, a threat it was a threat. And what we realized also is that they had set up a cement blockade like Mike yep. was talking about before. So we couldn't go back the way that we came. And so basically we ended up taking like a two hour route um, completely out of the way to travel like a mile that had taken us to get to this guy's house. It would have house. been like a like, 10 minute drive. Yeah. So we ended up driving like the rest of the night just to get back to the refugee camp that we originally came from, even though it was such a short distance because of the blockade that they had set up. And then that night, <laughs> there's gunshots all night from Israeli soldiers because apparently that night in the refugee camp, they were doing some kind of raid. And so it was like a loud, you know, night. One of the, um, I think Stevie said that he thought a bullet w- went in the room, you know, like was hitting the wall or something like that. So it was, uh, you know, for the first 24 hours, it was quite intense. And that kind of, you know, we were there for a month and I think every day was intense in its own way as that first day. Hey, Empire Baby, sorry to cut it off here, but this is the end of the preview. Uh, The full episode is about two hours and 15 minutes long, where Abby and I get into some really intense stories from our journey through Palestine, including uh, getting caught in the crossfire of soldiers shooting at a Palestinian man, and uh, a lot more important context to this SNL joke and everything, uh, including some fun stories about uh, what's behind that viral video we had where Abby interviews Israelis in Jerusalem who openly, uh, all of them pretty much openly called for genocide against the Palestinians. So if you want all of that very interesting uh, behind-the-scenes eyewitness firsthand accounts that was behind all of our episodes on Palestine, which you could find on our YouTube channel playlist reporting from Palestine, 
Uh, sign up with us on patreon.com slash empirefiles. You can sign up for just $2 and you can get access to all of our exclusive podcasts. We've done several episodes so far. And if you sign up at the $5 or higher levels, there's other types of exclusive content and perks that you can get there. So thanks so much for listening and hope you join us on our Patreon family.